So I started writing this rant a few weeks ago because Brian was going to take his scheduled week off and we needed a video for today. And since I had no cars lined up myself and the new RCR stories is at least a good month away from being done, I figured a quick rant would be the way to go. And it needed to be something that gets my dander up as much as the left lane bandit rant, link in description. And it wasn't until I saw a 2017-ish Mustang parked at Sheets that I realized just what that rant was going to be about. I hate the epidemic of pointlessly aggressive, angry-looking car designs. And so I sat at my laptop, and inside of two hours, I'd written something sufficiently angry enough to warrant a video about how angry designs are the ultimate form of compensation, and how an intimidating-looking car isn't actually intimidating, it's just kind of silly-looking, like a poodle snarling in your general direction, you know? But here's the thing. That rant did nothing but preach to the choir, which might be satisfying from a cathartic standpoint if you share the same opinion. But I don't know that the aggressive designs of the modern era are, quote, pointless. In my mind, it was designed by committee. People who thought the automotive equivalent of a furrowed brow looked cool and would get the fast and furious crowd. But what if there was a method to the madness? What if there were more to the story? So it made sense to me to try and figure out why this design trend caught on in the first place, why the people who like these angry designs like them, and why the people who don't, well, don't. Consider this a sort of mini RCR stories on angry car designs. Oh, and that quick rant, yeah, this isn't going to be so quick, sorry. So without further ado, let's talk about angry car designs. I suppose I could go back to the history of the automobile and talk about the changes through the years. I mean, really, it's not like angry car designs are an entirely new phenomenon. Not when you consider classics like the Buick Electra, the Dodge Royal, the Lincoln Continental, or any number of 70s Pontiacs. But the question isn't really about when this started, but rather why people identify with cars that look like people. And the answer is pretty simple, ultimately. It's human nature. As a kid, maybe you had a favorite toy and you may have imbued that toy with a spirit. Because as children, it's easier to identify things if we approach them in terms that place us in agreement with rather than opposition to who we are. So you imagine your toy has feelings, that your toy has a personality. Sure, the toy may not actually be alive. I say may not be alive because you never actually know. But it has a face, it has character. It provides us with a feeling we might not get from other outlets and communicates elements of ourselves to the world in ways we might not be able to ourselves. The same is true of a car. The face of our car is a face we present to the world in place of our own. And many people would prefer their car to present a bolder, more confident face than they themselves could. It might not even necessarily be a conscious decision, considering how deeply entrenched in unthinking human traits these preferences can be. Developmental psychology suggests that from the moment you're born, you're capable of discerning aspects of a human face in objects that aren't intended to be viewed that way. To be specific, it's a psychological phenomenon known as pareidolia. While you might often see innocuous or non-threatening faces as a result, some people who experience pareidolia may spy something more sinister. It's theorized to be something of an evolutionary trait, 
in the sense that our ancestors were always on the lookout for predators, and it was better to see a face in everything and be safe than to let your guard down and be sorry. But again, just hypotheses. For the most part, pareidolia manifests in faces that aren't really there, or at least not intentionally, so that a car takes on the appearance of a living, breathing, almost human object over the course of your formative years. And movies, TV, and all sorts of media add to the perception of a vehicle as something beyond an appliance, whether it's a Disney, Pixar movie, or a cartoon about rescue bots. But okay, that sort of explains why we read faces into objects, but it doesn't exactly explain the trend of angry faces. For that, we have to go back to the long ago fabled era known as, what, what, wait, I only need to go back to the mid 2000s? Oh, okay, cool. In short, the auto industry suffered a sales slump into the 2000s in the wake of more boring, rounded designs becoming more popular alongside any number of SUVs, crossovers, and other innocuous, tame offerings. So that companies conducted market research that included input from psychologists and behavioral experts in order to figure out how certain cars made people feel and why those cars made them feel the way they did. According to a 2006 Wall Street Journal article by reporter Jonathan Welsh titled Why Cars Got Angry, Cadillac arranged an experiment in which three different focus groups, comprised of ten subjects each, were subjected to a three-hour forum on car design, not just discussing aesthetic opinions, but personal feelings towards the cars themselves. During this study, relaxing music was played, and subjects were offered reclining chairs, and before long, people started to get, quote, surprisingly childlike at least according to Christine Chastain, one of the anthropologists hired for the study. And in those childlike moments, memories began spilling out about how certain Cadillacs gave one subject the sensation of resting his head in his mother's lap, while another gave a less calming description of a prototype shown to the group, noting that it called to mind, quote, the bared teeth of an animal. The article doesn't specify what prototype the person was describing, but the conclusion you draw is that nostalgia, at least in the early to mid-2000s, didn't really sell. Do you want to be in a car that reminds you of laying your head on your mother's lap? Or do you want a car that looks fierce and tells people to get the hell out of your way? A specific year isn't given for the study, but one would suspect the timing aligns with Cadillac's early 2000s renaissance off the backs of more domineering design choices, whether it was the hulking 2003 Escalade or the more confidently modern CTS. But those Cadillac models were relatively restrained in comparison to what was to come, and you could probably blame additional focus groups for the evolution of imposing designs. A different study had subjects hooked up to sensors to gauge their reactions to car designs of the past, present, and near future, in the form of pre-production models and concept cars. And the study found that the more controversial designs had a greater ability to potentially become hits over time, as the test offered subjects a response option that was neither approval nor disapproval, but a middle-of-the-road option that boiled down to, well, I don't love it now, but I could imagine growing to like it over time. Suddenly, car design took on the characteristics of a childhood playdate. I mean, sure, I'm not friends with Ricky now, but our moms went through the trouble of setting us up to share Ninja Turtle toys while they drink red grape juice and watch One Life to Live, so I guess I could grow to like the kid, but only if he's gonna bring over the Technodrome and Pizza Shooter. Seriously, our moms have no idea what they're missing. Oh, you have a vibrating curling iron. <laughs> Real cool, mom. Have fun messing up each other's hair all day. 
A report from CNW Marketing Research noted that for many consumers, the headlights and grill are how they judge cars. That number was a whopping 70% of drivers sampled in the study, adding that some 88% of men and 64% of women surveyed preferred eclectic, unique front ends for their cars, which sounds like a big number in both instances. Because it is. This same study was conducted in 1985, and back then, the number was 73% for men, but only 42% for women. So men have always placed priority on distinctive front ends, despite what Sir Mix-a-Lot would have had you believe. Whereas women didn't really think much about the size of the bulge up front. However, as the 20th century bled into the 21st, attitudes changed, to where it seemed that Despite the proliferation of crossover vehicles, people generally wanted to drive cars that deterred other drivers from wanting to mess with them. Cars that make other cars want to slow down so you can pass, just so they don't have to be driving with your murder eyes staring them down, or your impossibly monolithic frame towering over them in the passing lane. As Eric Stoddard, the senior creative designer for Hyundai at the time, told the Wall Street Journal in 2006, quote, I'm not saying we promote rudeness on the road, end quote. However, he doesn't necessarily refute that the implication of aggression is a potential positive for drivers who are intimidated by the more challenging conditions of the modern open road, I guess. Adding that an angry car, quote, projects a message that a driver may be too shy or afraid to express. An aggressively styled car says, get out of my way. In reference to the redesigned 6th generation Dodge Charger, designer Ralph Gillies echoed Stoddard's sentiment, stating, The Charger's eyes are definitely its greatest assets. The headlights seem to make eye contact the same way people do on the street. A mean face is what we're going for. And this approach wouldn't have worked if cars like the Dodge Charger and the scowling 4th gen Hyundai Elantra didn't sell with each subsequent generation getting leaner and with brows more furrowed than years before. Look at the XV50 generation of the Toyota Camry and even the RAV4, whose redesign was defended by Chris Hostetter, Toyota's vice president for advanced product strategy in the mid-2000s, who noted that, quote, the old RAV was considered cute, end quote. Now, the idea was to target male buyers who only accounted for a quarter of RAV4 sales in North America. And I never really thought of the RAV4 as a non-masculine car. In fact, I never really thought of it as having any sort of particular demographic focus. But then maybe that was part of the problem for Toyota. Regardless, Toyota made a choice to target dudes, and that meant getting aggressive. And as a result, sales have only climbed over the years from 152,047 units sold in 2006 to 427,170 as of 2018. Suddenly, it became standard for cars to take on the appearance of stealth bombers or discarded exotic vehicle options in a Grand Theft Auto game. And I know, this is only one part of the story, one aspect that attempts to explain a wider automotive trend. But I think, if nothing else, it offers a theory into why people not only wanted more aggressive cars, but actually went out and bought them. Which, in turn, justifies why car companies continued to make them. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the summit of all angry-looking, modern, accessible cars, without necessarily getting into exotics and hypercars and the like which always look like they're trying to think feminism out of existence. 
Yes, the Mustang got a makeover, and not necessarily because the aggressive styling trend was catching on. As recounted in Jonathan Welsh's Wall Street Journal article, Ford designer Jay Mays was working on a new design and received input from the Dead Horse Mustang Club in Oklahoma City, who told him his original design for the next-gen Mustang, quote, wasn't beefy enough. So he went back to the drawing board and the evolutionary design process, coupled with the increased sales of the remodeled Mustang over the years, has led to the scowling automotive emote we have on the road today. And for better or worse, angry car designs are here to stay. Or are they? Whether it's the Corvette Z06, the beefier Dodge Challenger, the Audi RS7, the Acura NSX, the BMW M4, the absolute unit of the Ford Raptor, the Nissan GTR Nismo, the Lexus RCF, even the Jeep Cherokee and the Hyundai Veloster, these designs have taken root and spread like untreated athlete's foot. They're like a kaleidoscope embodying the mood ring colors of the auto industry in the 21st century, and all the colors denoted anger. It was an approach reinforced by even more pre-production and styling forums that had attendees subjected to eye movement tracking systems and brainwave measuring devices to judge reactions to certain cars. Auto companies were taking desperate measures because circumstances were becoming increasingly perilous. It's not like a company could invest in producing a car and then just write off the failure if it bombed before moving on to the next possibility. We were nearing the big recession in 2008, which affected pretty much everybody. The auto industry would eventually need bailing out, and it would need new, fresh ideas to appeal to the widest possible consumer bases. Truls Thorstensen, and I really hope I'm saying that right, who was the head of the EFS consulting firm in Vienna, told MSNBC in 2008 that styling can make or break a car. And while that seems obvious, the auto industry had gotten by for years on badge engineering and rounded banal designs for standard passenger cars, while leaving the bolder choices to the people looking into sports cars. Thorstensen stated, quote, when investing in a new passenger car, you're talking about billions. If you get the wrong styling, you get problems." End quote. This is why pareidolia is so important to the understanding of what draws some consumers to certain more expressive cars. Sonja Windhager, please tell me I'm saying that right, an anthropologist from the University of Vienna, conducted a study from a sample of 20 men and 20 women in which 38 passenger vehicles were rated on characteristics often associated with human beings, such as maturity, sex, attitude, and overall personality. In addition, subjects were asked if they discerned a face in the vehicle, and if so, whether it was human or animal in nature. Subjects who saw a face were then asked to draw the face they believed they saw. Lastly, subjects were asked, point blank, if they liked the car or not. Now, the survey purposely omitted SUVs to prevent any predisposition the subjects may have had toward larger vehicles. Also, the sample size of cars came from a small window of recent offerings produced between 2004 and 2008. But with these parameters in place, the results still reflected a preference toward powerful-looking cars, such as the BMW 5 Series. But this is an admittedly narrow sample size, which Windhager admitted, quote, These questionnaires are limited in the things you can infer from them. You have to ask people, and they have to reflect on them. 
We wanted to go to a more subconscious level, end quote. From what I could find, Thorstensen and Vinhager were able to refine their study alongside several colleagues for another iteration utilizing eye movement patterns. The study was published in 2010, and the abstract explained, quote, Eye movement patterns indicated on which visual information participants relied to solve the task and clearly revealed the perception of facial features in cars, such as headlights as eyes or grill as nose. Most importantly, a predominance of headlights was found in attracting and guiding people's gaze irrespective of the feature they were asked to compare, equivalent to the role of the eyes during face perception. This response to abstract configurations is interpreted as an adaptive bias of the respective inherent mechanism for face perception and is evolutionarily reasonable with regard to a better safe than sorry strategy, end quote. So get an angry car and you'll be safer. Or something. And yet, as more car companies exploited design cues such as extensive character lines in an attempt to give their cars a leaner, edgier look, some automakers began to show regret over the proliferation of this approach. Robert Lesnick, Mercedes-Benz's head of exterior design, lamented the growth of the trend to which they themselves arguably contributed with their A-Class series. In a 2018 quote on why the company would adopt a less-is-more approach in the future, Lesnick told Automotive News Europe, Quote, if you look around at what others are doing, a lot are chalking their cars full of lines, trying to achieve the sharpest edge in the world with the smallest radius. It looks very aggressive. You don't want to touch it. You're afraid you could almost hurt yourself, end quote. And yet, the thinking at the time, from what I could gather, was that there were legitimate, practical reasons to style cars more aggressively, beyond just what it would mean for sales numbers. And I admit, most of this is open speculation, but a deep dive into any topic is going to feature subjective conjecture because, hey, it's the internet, so what are you gonna do? But for example, it's no real secret that the auto industry is always trying to improve fuel economy, in part out of consumer appeal and also out of regulatory demand. And so the leaner design motifs of aggressively styled cars lend themselves better to aerodynamics because they're generally slicker. But maximizing aerodynamics occasionally means going with smoother, more spherical front ends, which makes the car unsightly and boring to the average consumer. Also, I read this interesting theory that the safety regulations demand that car companies have smoother, more rounded hoods in the event that the driver hits a pedestrian. And I'm not sure how true that is, but then speculate away. You know, just whatever. Have at it. Odds are you'll probably hit closer to the mark than I do. Either way, the demands of engineering a safe car that's both attractive to consumers while simultaneously satisfying existing regulations is a tall order. This is where the parade of fake air intakes, LED lights, sloping, frowning hoods, and tumbler-esque edges come into play. Because the engineering necessities make the car look less sexy, the difference has to be made up in other aspects of the car's design. But in speaking with Automotive News Europe in March 2018, Daimler CEO Dieter Ugh, why am I so bad at pronouncing things, I'm sorry, tacitly agrees with Robert Lesnick in the sense that aggressive, expressive car designs might soon become a thing of the past as necessity no longer dictates that a car be an outward representation of inner turmoil in order to get noticed. Quote, the previous A-class design had to be edgy and loud for a reason to attract attention, a concept that has been widely adopted by the competition, so it's time to move on. 
As our head of design, Gordon Wagner, puts it, if you like it, take a line off. If you still like it, take another line off. End quote. In essence, it's an argument for a more holistic, uniform approach to car production, where every aspect of a car's design leads directly into its next aspect, so that you don't get the clumsily designed cars that merge the more rounded aerodynamics of a mid-level sedan with the aimless aggression of an overcooked muscle car. It seems as though foreign brands recognize that angrier doesn't necessarily mean better, or more attractive, or more effective. It's tough all over in the auto industry, and in a general sense, it's better to just do your own thing without riding trends like a would-be Instagram influencer. Unless you're Elon Musk, in which case doing your own thing probably isn't the best advice. Although the Cybertruck presentation is a wellspring of endless comedy, so I'm not exactly mad at the guy. And hey, it does look like what everyone assumed cars in the future would look like if Blade Runner, Total Recall, and any PS1, N64, Sega Saturn era futuristic racing game is any indication. So I can't even say it's the worst idea in the world, especially not when the Elio is a thing that's still supposedly in development, and double especially when I'd probably do some wild-ass nonsense too if I had Elon Musk money. Now, I don't have exact sales figures, but one would imagine that the presence of angry cars today means they're still selling. And if they're still selling, then there are people who must unironically love them. And I've spent the better part of however long this video has been trying to explain why people might actually like them. But what about people who actually own angry cars? Why do they like them? It can't all be about a car standing in for one's physical presence or lack thereof, no? So what is it? So I crowdsourced the official RCR Facebook page to see what owners of angry-looking cars think and what those who hate them have to add about why, along with a general question about where the auto industry goes from here, design-wise. Since I'm not entirely sure the Cybertruck is the future, unless we're talking about what we thought the future would look like back in 1983. And what I got was a wide array of varying opinions on the pros and cons of angry-looking cars. I tried to pick a decent variety of the comments that were offered in the first 12 hours or so, since I was on a deadline and my dumbass waited until the last minute. But hey, it worked out great in grad school, so eh. Seriously, I, I don't think I can work unless my back is to the wall. But anyway, it's still an interesting comment thread that's well worth checking out, so search the posts on our Facebook page if you want some light reading. I, I wish I could have included more. Anyway, we start with G.O. Dude, who says, I own a 2019 Toyota 8.6, a pretty aggressive looking car. The driving experience is what drove me to it at first, but I definitely like the narrow, sharp lines of the headlights, the aggressive curves behind them on the hood and fenders, but most of all, the teeth-like spikes that come up from the lip that give it such an angry look. While it may be quite divisive of a car design, I love it. I think a good approach to a car design has a focus on function and performance. A good car design should be aero-oriented, with lines that direct airflow nicely across the car. I feel like looking fast and being fun to drive are two major things most enthusiasts are into, and good airflow definitely helps with that. I could use the BRZ86 Twins as an example, but I feel like Mazda has nailed it for the last few years, especially with the MX-5 that went from slightly bloated to an angrier design that admittedly made me seriously consider buying one new. And that's a fair opinion, Geodude, because I do think aerodynamics is part and parcel of what makes a good car a good car, and also what makes a fun car fun. 
Although I wouldn't necessarily agree that looking fast is one of the components that enthusiasts are most into, so much as actually being fast. But then that's all subjective anyway. Since some drivers are just as happy that their car looks fast than that it's actually able to outrun a Hellcat Challenger, so meh. Our next comment comes from Chris B, who writes, Aggressive design should only be on a car that is, quote, aggressive. Otherwise, the car's writing a check that can't be cashed. It's like people wearing workout clothes when they have no intention of doing so. This has therefore caused automakers to make their actually aggressive cars look so over-the-top and gaudy, offering the Civic Type R as an example. And on this note, Chris, I agree, but to a point. You see, I have a tendency to go into driving experiences with low expectations so that I'm very rarely disappointed and often pleasantly surprised. But if I'm someone who wants a car to deliver on the promise of its design, then I'll probably be pretty annoyed when I take it out for a spin and discover I'd been sold a bill of goods. But here's the thing, it's that the onus is often on the driver to make sure they're informed about what they're getting. And yet, sometimes it's hard to always be completely informed on every car because we're often encouraged to take cars at face value. To believe that they're as fast as they look, that they're as sturdy as they look, when that's not always the case. And in that sense, I very much agree that some aggressive designs are writing a check that the car itself can't and won't cash. And if the trend continues, then the true fast cars, the true sporty gems, run the risk of getting lost in a sea of angry-faced homogeneity. And that's not what anyone wants, you know? Up next, we have Will D, who says, Why I like the angry is, I remember seeing my father's 64 GTO as a child. Its square face as it shook with hoodlocks poking out. Slight bumper dents resembling a crooked smile. It looked so mean. Four headlights staring straight ahead. Lumpy cam and straight pipes shaking windows in the garage. It wasn't like the other kids' dad's cars. It felt special. For the first time, I saw a character in the face of a car. And it stuck. It wanted to go. Idle was a labor. Those three carbs wanted to be used. And that big Hearst shifter was something bigger than life to a kid. Honestly, as an adult, it still is. Some cars make me feel that feeling. It reminds me of home. It's not just body design, it's a stance, a sound. It's nostalgia, I guess. And of course, you know, all roads lead back to nostalgia in one way or another, although I can say I hadn't really considered it as a point of appeal for angry-looking designs, since I so often equate them with the modern era. But hell, I noted at the start of the video that angry-looking cars aren't some new phenomenon. It's almost related to the previous comment in the sense that aggressively styled cars that wrote a check and did cash it ended up inspiring nostalgia in those who would continue to buy angry as they got older. Though to be fair, Will's four cars are mostly from that nostalgic era and not so much from the modern offerings, as he says he owns a 72 Corvette, described as maybe angry, an 88 Corvette, described as not angry, an 04 Forerunner, described as angry, and a 64 GTO, which is also officially angry. But Sean from Long Island offers an opinion that somewhat backs up Will's. Sean writes, I drive a two-door JK Wrangler, and I've always been drawn to the styling. Right angles, straight lines, aggressive demeanor. I think it stems from my childhood. The first time I saw one, it looked so alien I was fascinated. 
Even though people have been seeing Jeeps on the road for decades, it still stands out and people notice it. Plus, it's bright red, so it's hard to miss. I've been in love with these trucks since I was a kid, and to finally own my dream vehicle is incredible. And hey, keep living your best life, Sean. I mean, owning your dream car, no matter what it is, is a summit achievement for just about any car guy, so congrats. And to wit, I do agree that nostalgia does hold a certain power over us, although, again, admittedly, I never considered that as a motivating factor in the prevalence of angry car designs. So it is a different perspective that's interesting to me, and, you know, I appreciate yours and Will's comments. Michael S. writes, I own a 2017 370Z, which for me is very aggressive and a bit different. I was drawn to the heritage and styling that, to me, seemed to attempt to recreate but modernize the spirit of the 240Z. Frankly, I wanted Japanese reliability, after years of VW electrical issues, in what I felt was an aggressively bold yet stylish car that would keep looking good slash remain timeless for years to come. I feel they should do a bit more retro styling, but modernize and stop over-characterizing the cars. I feel clean, minimal sweeping lines will age better and make the vehicles desirable. And so here, Michael answered two of my questions about what the appeal of angry-looking car designs are and what the automotive industry can do moving forward in terms of overall design that either embraces or gets away from the angry designs. And here, once again, we deal with the temporal aspect of a car. However, as opposed to looking back with the eyes of nostalgia, Michael is looking ahead to the future to express why he likes these styling trends, or at least that's the impression that I got. It took something from the past and modernized it, while also creating a future that preserved the spirit of the 240Z. And while Michael may well be right that clean, minimal sweeping lines are the way to go in future designs, I think there is some truth in how aggressive styling trends can be used to modernize outmoded designs. Although there's plenty of debate that could be had about whether or not the 240Z design was outmoded in general. Ethan N. writes, my Kona is pretty aggressive-ish, but I like quirky designs in general. The rear is pretty aggressive, too. I believe more interesting designs should be made. I much prefer unique designs to boring ones. As much as the people make fun of the Aztec, I'd love for every car to have a unique design characteristic like it, even if they're considered ugly in some cases. Risks should be taken, in my opinion. Now, this is a defense that makes sense given the bland models of the early 2000s. But then, maybe that's just me? I didn't really care for how cars looked when I was in high school and in college. It was all too soft, too round, too safe. Which I guess is the point to reach the widest possible consumer base. Hell, my experience with actual car variety was fairly limited pre-RCR, since so many people I knew drove Saturns, they drove Pontiacs like the Vibe and the Sunfire, they drove Sebrings, Priuses, and Malibus, and I guess some Camrys and Civics, but not as many as you'd probably expect. But I digress. You see, sometimes it can be better to just stand out than to blend in. Just don't make that a part of the pitch to investors. Levi B. writes, I worked as a detailer for a dealership that had Toyota, GMC, Buick, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, and Ram trucks franchises. Needless to say, I saw a variety of cars. Aggressively styled cars are only styled that way to remain relevant to the majority car buyer. Aggressive is associated with new and expensive. Much like our memories of years ago blur out the details around the edges, sweeping curves and soft profiles remind them of old things. Things that aren't new and sharp don't interest them. 
They're trying to run from the memories in their new, angry-faced family sedan toward the future and away from the past. Now, this is a fascinating take to me, particularly because it seems so obvious in retrospect that angry-looking cars do convey some sense of financial superiority or stability, I guess, because they do tend to look newer for longer than a more docile-looking car, at least in my opinion. However, there's something to be said for how much has changed in the realm of cars we use to escape reality slash our past. I don't necessarily think everybody or even most people use cars as an oasis in the desert of life. I would think for the majority, they're just an appliance that they hope works and that they hope looks cool. For some, it's about status, but yes, there are people for whom cars can be an escape. I'm one of them, but that doesn't always have to carry a negative connotation. It can be nice to take a drive, to have something to wrench on, to have something to talk with a friend or family member about that isn't the weather or a disappointing football game. I don't know where I'm really going with this other than to say that while angry car designs can appeal to people who are in retreat from a rough past and a less than ideal present, correlation doesn't always equal causation. And now a lightning round of comments. Instagram user at just some garage writes, I like the styling cars meant to have fun in. They're a tier above your average commuter car and I like it when they look it. I feel like it just kind of oozes get out of my way, this is the fast lane and you're doing five under with an empty right lane. I think my FRS is on the aggressive side opposed to my FC, but I still love the FC because just looking at it pulls me towards a time I wasn't even alive. The lines are softer and the pop-ups look like big eyes. It just doesn't look like a car that should have the 400 horsepower I'm about to chuck into it and I also love it for that. Sound will make up for the less aggressive body lines. Moving forward on new designs, I really wish we could go back to the 80s and their regulations. I would have loved to see cars developed in that style now. I like the modern Subarus personally. I'm not liking the new pickup designs very much other than the new Titans, and even then, meh. Ian M writes, I dislike the fact that many of the people drawn to aggressively styled vehicles, particularly the SUV and off-road-esque segments, is that the vehicles tend to reflect the personalities of the owners and seem to encourage them to drive as such. I can't tell you how many times I've been tailgated by an Angry Eyes Tacoma or Jeep Rubicon, and take your pick of the big three bro-dozer three-quarter and one-ton class aggressive lifted trucks that take up way too much room and dickhead their way around merges and lane changes. Sean W. writes, I think aggressive styling is in the eye of the beholder. To me, there's a definite difference between exuberant, sporty, and specifically aggressive styling. Aggressive styling to me is style that projects negative emotions such as anger, arrogance, or pushiness. Things like angry headlights, lots of sharp lines at multiple odd angles, and pickup truck grills. So with that said, and he proceeds to go over my questions one by one, which is very helpful. <laughs> If you own an aggressively styled car, what drew you to the design? And Sean W. answers, I don't consider my 124 Spider Abarth to be aggressive, but I do think it's distinct and a bit bold in an understated way. And I realize some people would call it aggressive. To me, it's more curved styling doesn't cross that line into aggressive like its step-sibling the ND Miata MX-5 does. It has cues that are a bit flashy, but they're not physically flipping off everyone around it, like, say, a Ram truck or a current-gen Camaro. To me, it projects an aura of calm confidence in what it is and what it's meant for, to be enjoyed. 
And then my second question, if you don't own an aggressively styled car, but still like their appearance, what aspects do you like about their design? To which Sean answers, I don't like cars I consider to have an aggressive appearance as I define it, but I do greatly appreciate cars with style. A car should be distinct, have personality, and stand out for what it is, in my opinion. The styling doesn't need to be aggressive or in your face, but it should register as different from every other vehicle. The third question, if you dislike aggressively styled cars, what do you dislike about their design? To which Sean writes, cars I consider aggressively styled to me just project immaturity and insecurity. And beside that, they're aesthetically ugly to me. A vehicle without some degree of cool factor or maturity in how it projects itself is just a bore to me. In the same way that Grim Dark jumped the shark in films over the past 10 years, I think a rush to be edgier than the next design is an evolutionary dead end. And then my final question, what sorts of design approaches should the auto industry take moving forward? Basically, what's an example of a great looking modern car with a style slash ideology more companies should try to follow? To which Sean writes, it's really a whole of vehicle approach that does it for me. I'd never want to own a Dodge Challenger, but I salute Chrysler for going all in on making something coherent. It would be regarded by most as an aggressive car, and I would say it is too, but I don't have the same immediate reaction of disdain to it that I have with a current-gen Camaro, Dodge Charger, or most current pickup trucks. I wish Honda had kept on with the CRZ. That was a great fusion of the inevitable transition to hybrids and electrics, but still translating the spirit of the past into the future. I'd also say the current Lincoln sedans are pretty sweet. They come out looking refined, where a lot of modern luxury cars look tacky and cheap, at least on the exterior. And of course I'd put up my cars as an example of a modern car with sporty styling and a coherent aesthetic, but then I am biased there. To me, it's the only car currently in production that I just immediately and unreservedly love. And my big takeaway from this series of comments, which I'm very much appreciative of, so thank you for writing, it's that while there are those who love the designs and dislike them, the reasons vary wildly from aesthetic disagreements to the feelings about the attitudes they might encourage. And while it may sound like the biggest cop-out in the history of cop-outs, the biggest thing I learned while writing this video was that, as has always been the case, and as will always be the case, Beauty, merit, and value are all in the eye of the beholder. And yes, it's a platitude, but I think it's one that is often taken for granted because it doesn't require any deeper thought than that. People like what they like and dislike what they dislike. What further explanation do you need, you know? And yet, sometimes we look at our own subjective judgments and elevate them to objective truth so that no other standard for beauty exists but our own and it closes our minds to what other people might like or value or respect. And that's not really how the world works. Or at least, that's really not how it should. But then I would argue that respectful disagreement isn't in as short supply as it might seem. But then for every instance of respectful disagreement, you have open vitriol. And yeah, my original rant was gonna kind of contribute to that, but well, Perspectives change. So yeah, I threw out that original rant I had on angry looking cars, but the gist of my argument was that in addition to being fairly ridiculous looking and ostentatious to the point of being complete eyesores, 
These angry designs can encourage the worst impulses in drivers, whether it's someone predisposed to aggressive driving or someone emboldened by a more imposing looking car. But the problem with that rant was that I didn't know that. I couldn't know that for certain. Whereas the left lane bandit rant was based on anecdotal experience, what I was writing this time wasn't really a rant at all. I didn't truly hate aggressive car designs. I mean, I don't like them, but I don't hate them. No, I wrote it because it was easy. It's easy and perhaps even popular to hate on angry looking cars. So I diarrheaed four pages of empty observation. And while it probably would have been shorter and funnier than this, it would have been a video just for its own sake and not to any actual purpose beyond meeting a deadline. And in the abstract, I'd like to aspire to a bit more than that. Which is not to say I necessarily nail every informative piece I do. But I want to try, you know? Long story short, while I really don't like these knife-edge designs, I realized that after reading articles and viewing countless galleries of angry cars, I didn't dislike them as much as I thought. At least not enough to rant about them with any sort of passion. And maybe that's a bad thing, to have a passionate opinion only for the intensity to bleed out of you like helium from a sputtering balloon. And yet, while I don't care for the style personally, it just didn't seem worth getting angry over, ironically enough. So let me know what you think about aggressive, angry-looking cars. Are you for or against? And do you think this trend is here to stay, or will it slowly become niche rather than mainstream? Until the next proper RCR Stories is done, thanks for watching, thanks for listening, thanks for hanging in here with me.